This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. to yet another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Peterson. With me as always, Eric Branson. Eric, how's it going? Hey, good. How are you doing, Joe? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Get deep into the swing of things with work and semester and all that started, but uh, surviving and keeping my head above water despite all the rain we've been getting. Good. Well, we, uh, we just got back from a family vacation, so first time we took a road trip with our, you know, twin one-year-olds, so that was obviously exciting and exhausting and all of the above, but um, we'll spare everyone the details because we got a very special show tonight. We are starting a, this is the first part of a two-part special, and our theme this week, or these weeks, is actually our audience selections. So we put out a thing on Facebook uh, a few weeks back, just kind of asking if anyone had any of their favorite cult movies or movies that they felt were underappreciated or maybe not seen enough that they really love. And um, we got a whole bunch of really great recommendations. And we've actually already touched uh, Dog Soldiers happened to be one of them. And just mm-hmm. we, we yep. covered that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so we decided to theme a couple of sh- a series of shows here based on those selections. So this will be the first of those. That's and, right. And uh, I think the, the first of these, I first of all, there were a whole bunch of really cool selections. In fact, I think we're going to do more and more of these um, kind of audience picks because it, we just developed this gigantic list from that. Not that we were running out of ideas, but it was like, oh, yeah, I, I maybe I haven't thought about that film in a long time, which is really what the whole podcast is about. But I'll admit that I think we were fishing a little bit when we uh, threw this one out there because I knew that one person was going to be picking the film that we're going to talk tonight. And so I, I'll, I'll just fully, full trans, uh, you know, full admission on that one that, yeah, that I kind of saw this one coming. And so that's, the, that's 100% the coolest thing about this episode of Video Junkyard Podcast is we actually have that audience member, <laughs> a lifelong friend of ours, on yeah. uh, the phone here with us. So to join in on the discussion of what I believe is his favorite movie of all time. And so without any further ado, let me uh, introduce everybody to a lifelong friend of mine and of Joe's, uh, yep. also grew up in Pecatonic, Illinois, with the two of us. Um, this is Dan Eaton. Oh, hey, hi. Hello, how you doing? I uh, didn't see you guys there. Hey, yeah. How's it going? It's funny bumping, <laughs> it's into, pretty good. bumping into you uh, on, on the out here on the Skype. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just happen to be on Skype with a beer in my hand thinking, you know, I really kind of feel like talking about films tonight, and you know, <laughs> luck would have it, here we are. Yeah. Well, well you uh, are in luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any oh, you any specific <laughs> any specific movie you feel like talking about this uh, this evening? <laughs> um, I would have to say 1992's hit classic, Robot Jock. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's a... Uh... <laughs> 
I'm not prepared for it, but man, I would love to do that one too. I actually have that one on a list of movies I want to review in the future. (laughs) So, so I went back and watched that about six months ago, and it's um, I I ruined a small part of my childhood by doing so. Oh no, I haven't seen it in quite a while, and we've all been there. Yeah. (laughs) But the film that we are going to be talking about tonight is a classic. (laughs) It's from a little bit earlier than 1992. Um, uh, this is the. I, I don't even know how to describe it. it. It is a classic cult film. I think this film was made in in prophecy of being reviewed on this podcast. This is the 1984 American science fiction film, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. Yay. Oh, Joe, I just want to thank you for getting the entire title in there. Everyone seems to, seems to miss that. Yes. Well, it's, it's easy to just shorten it. And I think back and forth, and as Eric and I have been emailing and texting about this, it's just been like, buckaroo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <fair enough. laughs> so it's been BB for short, which uh, my girlfriend and I like to just say, you know, hey, how's it going, BB? I would like to think she'd call me buckaroo bonsai. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely what that stands for. I've never accepted any other interpretations. <laughs> Buckaroo, President's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. So, I mean, the, the, this is, um, I'll be honest, this is a film that I actually don't think I even knew of until, Dan, I think you, I heard you talking about it in high school once, and I don't, so I... And it's funny because rewatching it uh, for the podcast, as as we do with 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 all the movies that we review on here, um, watching it, I'm like, yeah, I, I've seen this movie before. I think I watched it in college, and I'm watching it now, going, I don't remember any of this. This is quite an experience. And it's uh, so either I watched it, and I was, I don't know why I wouldn't remember it. This is kind of a hard movie to forget. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, perhaps it was. But no, so like, I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and say that the other night when I watched this was watching it all over again for the first time, perhaps. Um, it, this is a hard movie to classify. I mean, I said it's a science fiction film, but really it's it's considered a science fiction romantic adventure comedy. It's all over the place. <laughs> it's It's uh, got just as many titles as Buckaroo Banzai himself. Yeah. <laughs> And I would also, it, it seems that, that it, it also seems like, um, you know, like, like I said, the, the theme that we have for this week and next week's show uh, really are our guest picks, which it is. But there's also a little bit of a reoccurring theme between these are movies that, in my opinion, are really a bit ahead of their time. Yes. I mean, uh, especially this one, this there's such a comic book feel to this that uh, yeah. I, I think if it were with comic book films being so such a big deal now this almost seems like it's a movie that would be made today just this kind of irreverent off the wall let's let's get weird to be weird and that's kind of the thing now you know mm-hmm. so yeah, well the, you, you couple that with a you know uh, just an absolutely stellar ensemble cast a little bit before their time yes yeah. almost uh, everybody in this I, yeah go ahead i'm sorry jumping uh, in on I you always, <laughs> i always kind of like to compare it to um super bad because that was a definite ensemble cast before we started to see oh, yeah. Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, all those guys everywhere. That was, you know, uh, mid-Judd Apatow explosion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, it that's had what, that it, same feel to it. 
Yeah, and that's yeah, a great yeah. comparison because pretty yeah. much the entire cast of this film is going to go on to become major stars in the later 80s, especially Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd, John Lithgow, um, Peter Weller yep. in his own right, obvious, um, obviously with RoboCop fame coming after. <laughs> so. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, well, even Ellen Barkin, too. Yeah, you know, Jeff uh, Goldblum. Mm-hmm. I think what's, what's <laughs> the list goes the on and on, yeah. I like your example of uh, of super bad because you know always in the in the film industry don't they say you know for for people at that stage it's like you're a face not a name like people recognize you you're that person from that other movie but nobody can remember their name exactly. and and I think well, when when this came out that was kind of the case and then they've all like you said they've all really gone on to do to, to have very respectable careers. Um, that's what I've been saying about it for a long time is that the the casting to be comprised of quote unquote that guys. You yes. Know, it, it, yeah. was, it was a whole cast of, oh, it's that guy from that thing. It's that guy from that show I know. You know, um, there's mm-hmm. just tons of that in there. That that was always one of my favorite parts about it is you'd see these guys pop up in just these random television roles. I remember seeing um, advertisements for Third Rock from the Sun coming out, and I'm like, holy shit, it's Lord Warfin! I was freaking out. I thought it was the coolest <laughs> thing ever. Yeah, and my, it's funny as my experience is backwards from that because I think Third Rock from the Sun is the first thing I remember John Lithgow from, and yeah, so. Let's, yeah, for me, it's, it's Harry and the Hendersons for me. I think oh, right. Movie. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably yeah, me I, too. I, I always forget about that. Um, before we dive too deep into this fantastic 80s, I, I, I don't even know, like, again, unclassifiable, but it's just such a... I, I think it says right on the back of the new uh, edition of the Blu-ray box that this movie could only have been made in the 80s, and it's so true. Um, yep. It's, it's totally unique to its decade, but... Also, uh, this actually came, and I, I'm going to throw a quote here because it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but um, Danny Bowes of Tor.com wrote a review of the new Blu-ray and kind of encapsulated exactly what I think about the movie, and that it is totally ahead of its time, but also completely of its time. <laughs> so, that um, is, Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's exactly that's what it is. It's, it was way ahead of everybody's, like, a way over the head of most of the its audience and the critics and everyone at the time when it came out and, and just became, uh, I think instantly a cult film because it, it kind of fizzled at the box office, but there became um, blue blazer fan clubs popped up everywhere. Even in the age before the internet, people publishing mm-hmm. little fanzines and, and uh, kind of mm-hmm. just showing a whole lot of love to the movie and getting in touch with WD Richter and, and Earl MacRoush and, and the cast of the film and, mm-hmm. um, so, like, right, I think right off the bat, this became a cult movie a year after it was released. Much in the way, maybe, like, only only thing comparable cult-wise, I think, would maybe be the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the way that took off. Um, yep, yeah. Um, yeah, back in the 80s, I mean, even not that long after the film come out, I, came out, I want to say it was around 85-ish, they started the Blue Blazer fan letter. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, a newsletter, the official newsletter. And uh, that came with a blue blazer membership card and membership number um there was a monthly newsletter that went around that went along with it that updated what the you know various blue blazers were up to at that time and i have tried and tried and tried to track down copies of it because they're out there and there's collectors that snap them up like oh wow i bet (laughs) because it couldn't have been a very large run of publishing that were at the time probably talking Um, hundreds of copies like Yep, there's those, and um, in the opening sequence of the film, when we see Buckaroo in the jet car, uh, mm-hmm. he's getting all geared up, he's putting his, you know, his, his fire retardant mask, his goggles, and then he ties an orange and yellow headband around his head. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That, 
they actually gave those away at science fiction conventions in 1984. Yeah, I was yeah. just reading that today. They did Ran, like the uh, Star Trek circuit and were promoting, hyping the film by giving those away as free, free merch. Yep. So. And, that's another one that every time they've come up on eBay or wherever, I try to get them, and they just they are, I get bid out every single time. Yeah. The one piece of merch, but I do have in my possession the original Viewmaster slides, official merchandise Buckaroo Banzai Viewmaster. Oh slides. man! A, oh wow! It was, a, it was a three pack, and a lot of it was some behind the scenes photos, but there was one that used to absolutely scare the shit out of my six year old self. That was uh. <laughs> It was uh, Christopher Lloyd's John Big Boutet character <laughs> reaching towards the camera with these two giant gloved hands, and of course it's three-dimensional, and oh, yeah. me having a very low um, short-term memory retention, I would always forget what slide that was, so I'd be clicking along, looking up, and I want to pop up, and I'd throw the thing across the room. It happened every time. So, but yeah, I still have yeah. those. So that's fantastic. And I think that segues really well into like what I was next thing I was going to ask you. And that's that. So both Joe and I have a little more Joe's history with the film is fairly recent. Mine's a, a little less recent, but this one for you goes all the way back to your childhood. Like this is a, a favorite from when you were very young. So can you walk us uh -huh. through just what you remember about like discovering Buckaroo Banzai? Like when did you first see it? Do you remember, you know, how? Uh, I very, very, it goes back to when I was around three. I think my dad used to stop at the video store and rent films uh, usually once a week on his way home from work. And uh, he brought that home on the re recommendation of a coworker of his. This would have been 1987. So it was about three years after it came out. Yeah. So probably and, it was pretty um, new on video. They used to take forever to get those things out. So, yep. And um, I always remember I had an original, still have it somewhere, an original, I want I think it's an 85 copy, VHS copy. Nice. And the thing's oh. like a, it's like a, it's like a brick. It weighs a I, ton. And I remember <laughs> you having. Is that the same one you had when we were younger? Because I remember you toting yeah. around, the, bringing it over, and begging everyone to watch it. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got, a, I've got, a, I got a couple VHS copies. Uh, I've got a couple DVD copies, and somewhere I've got it on Laserdisc as well. Oh um, wow! But uh, yeah, and uh, and iTunes. You know, I gotta have a backup. Right. But yeah. Um, um, but anyway, so my dad would uh, bring that home from work, and I just became obsessed with it. Um, and I, I really don't know why when I was three. I have no good reason for it, because I, as I like to tell everyone, it's, it's a minimum three-watch movie. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the first time you watch it, it's, it's I have no idea what the hell just happened or why you did that to me. Um, and then the, the second time you're... The second time, it's, oh, this is pretty, you know, you start to understand what's going on and whatever. And by the third time you watch it, it's just your favorite movie ever. You know, yeah. the same thing happened with my girlfriend. She just loves it I almost had, as much huh. as I do. She, I had a very similar reaction to it, but um, and I'll get to that in a second. But I was just curious, like, do you think with this movie, because it is a, like a three-watch movie or the narrative, the narrative is incredibly complex, Um but do you think it actually helps to, to see it through the eyes of a three or four year old child? Cause I don't think you care at that age a whole lot about, you know, the complexity of the narrative you care about. There's cool monsters. There's, there's cool, yeah. cool characters and cool clothes. They're playing guitars. You know, it's, uh, it, it, yeah, it was, uh, you know, my favorite toys were hot wheels and the main focus of the film is a jet car. You know, yeah, the exactly. Thing I'd ever seen. I used to, I used to try and fail to build the thing out of Legos. Um, and, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, <laughs> that's what I was into when I was a kid with cars and monsters and, yeah. you know, you know, this, this guy's a rock star. He's, you know, 
playing a ripping guitar solo followed by another <laughs> ripping guitar solo on a tiny trumpet. And, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have to ask too before I, we we get into the the more about the film. I I do because you're also a, a very skilled guitar player. You have learned that solo, right? I haven't, and there's actually a reason for that. There's some songs that I won't touch because <laughs> I've noticed I've noticed that when I do sit down and learn a song that I just I love, it kind of ruins a little the mystique for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a real uh, prime example of that is uh, there's a I don't really know what to call him other than just a musical artist is uh, Devin Townsend. Yep. He has this song King Kingdom, and it's one of the most amazingly written songs I've ever heard. And then I sat down and learned it on guitar and realized how incredibly simple it was. And now it's like every time I listen to it, I'm like, okay, there's this note. And it's a, you know, the whole song is basically three guitar riffs. And for some reason, it just it ruined a little bit of the magic for me. It's kind of like learning hmm. how magic tricks done. That's a yeah. great way to put it. Um, okay. Peeking at so, peeking at the wizard under the curtain, kind of. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just I never really got around to it. And part of it's like that's not my solo. That's his solo. That's you know, that's like. You know, the second most badass guitar solo of all time. I'm not going to even come. I'm not even going to try that. <laughs> that's 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 really I that I, it makes sense. That's cool. I yeah, mean, I wonder. I, I, honestly, I wonder if we I can even like, locate oh, yeah, totally the. Got this down, but oh wow. I wonder if we that can even locate sense. the name of the session musician that actually played the guitar solo because I I learned today in some of my research Peter Weller does not actually play the guitar, so yeah, he yeah. learned enough yeah, to you, make it believable, but. <laughs> Yeah, they, I think someone on set just showed him, you know, okay, this is about where your hand is going to be. And if you can, mm-hmm. you know, wiggle your fingers like this, it'll look convincing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always did enjoy that uh, tone that he's got on that video, because, or on that video, God, in that scene, um, because it is the cheesiest, most glorious 80s guitar tone yep. I have ever <laughs> heard. That, that double-tracked chorus pedal just, like, I... I I want to dial that in and do nothing but play Top Gun. That's all I want to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can just do that and be content with my guitar playing skills for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I mean, well, if let's you ever do describe the film a little bit to the best of my sure. ability, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm going to let the synopsis. Here. I'm going to let you just for fun, and we'll let, we'll we'll go back and fill in the gaps. But just for fun, since you're kind of a first timer here, or you felt like it was a first timer, I'm going to let you, Joe, describe what. Buckaroo Banzai, I'm sorry, okay. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension is all about. Okay, so if we're going to do this, I, I swear I'm not reading it off of Wikipedia or IMDb, <laughs> because that would be cheating. Well, the um, IMDb I'm, one I'm, isn't going to shed a whole lot of light on you. On no, for but, you so. and I'll, I'll also say this too, that I think it was John Lithgow said in an interview about this movie, every time he tries to describe it, it takes about you know, an hour. <laughs> um, and fair. I'm not going to do that. But that's fair. What, what I like to tell people is it's the 80s as a film. Yeah, and just yeah. leave it at that. So yeah, I, it, it really is, is. It is definitely, and people say this about movies all the time, but this one is definitely one that you got to see. Like, you, by the time you describe it to somebody, you just sound like a crazy person rambling for a half an hour. I think it just got to sit down and watch it, and it's it's definitely one of those you got to watch more than once. If you watch it mm-hmm. and don't feel like watching it again, then maybe you don't need to. But um, I think everybody that appreciates this film saw it and, and was excited about it. Even if they didn't understand what the hell was going on in the movie, they were, you know, yeah. they thought it was funny. They thought it was, uh, yeah, there's at least a reason to revisit it. So, so I would just say that the, the best way I could describe it as, as a neophyte on this is, um, Bakaru Banzai is 
the son of a, a American mother and Japanese father. He's a brilliant neurosurgeon, rock star, test pilot, uh, a comic book superhero. Um, God, I'm sure I'm leaving. Oh, and then samurai. Particle and, physicist. Oh, particle <laughs> physicist. Thank you. Yes, he's also a particle <laughs> physicist. And uh, while test driving his rocket car, he breaks through the eighth dimension and some creatures find their way through and it starts revealing a more uh, sprawling plot involving mad scientists, cowboys, a bunch of Jamaican aliens all named John and <laughs> Ellen Barton. <Yeah. laughs> that was pretty close. A girl named John. <laughs> <laughs> well, named John. Like, that's, that's, that's what I can remember in no particular order. Yeah. No, I mean, touche. That was about as close as a quick synopsis I think you're ever going to get to uh, describing the plot of the movie. So congratulations, yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't even think I could have done that well. So, And I agree um, with what, what... I don't really I don't really know how to explain it without uh, corkboard and red string. I just yeah. don't yeah. really... Well, yeah, trying to put it in like some kind of narrative order would uh, be... It would look like in those crime yeah, dramas yeah, when they have, like... You know, I like it. Well, I mean, a lot more sarcastic than I meant it to. No, no, no. I know which I did. Trust me. I, I know you're being totally sarcastic. So anyway, um, no, I, I think, um, you know, actually after watching it, I did have to go and like, look at the Wikipedia synopsis to be like, all right, so did I see this, what I thought I saw? And, and even that has a hard time describing the the linear because there really isn't a lot of a linear storyline here and it's funny because the last film that we reviewed was an american world in london and we commented on how it's strikingly linear it's like yeah event a to b c done yeah. and in this case it's you're describing it you have to go across the eighth dimension you're you're looking at parallel <laughs> universes it's really but but again something that complex I think uh, the the made the, at this time is really striking. Yeah, and I think maybe the biggest thing that you left out. We could go on all night with the plot points, so I'm not going to stress on them. But that uh, a a big portion of the plot is also about an alien civil war, and that some yeah. of the um the the creatures were not actually from the eighth dimension. They were banished to the eighth eighth dimension by because they were uh, the losers of a racially based civil war of some sort. So there's there's the um, Red, what are they called? Electroids, electroids, and Le electroids. Electroids, yeah, that's it. Uh, red electroid, red electroids, and black electroids, and they don't get along with one another. And uh, so the for some reason the black electroids <laughs> are Jamaican. Yes. <laughs> uh, which did, I was watching some of the the special features is kind of beside the point, but W. G. Richter said that. Um, while he was making the movie, they had a session musician in that plays the drummer in the Hong Kong Cavaliers, and he only appears in the one scene when they're playing in the in the club. And uh, he really wanted that session musician to actually play, keep playing the character later in the film, so that they had a um, a real human black person, as well as you know uh, John Parker, <laughs> who is you know the kind of the Rastafarian, yeah. and and uh, the they had all kinds of trouble with their producer, which I wrote his name down, um, who worked at, uh, and ended up getting, oh, that'd be, uh, David Bagelman. Yep. Yep. That's his name. Beagleman. And, uh, yep. yeah. So he would not give him the extra, whatever it would have cost to get him on set another couple days. So didn't happen. Yeah, he, but, was a, he was a real nightmare throughout the whole production of the film. 
Um, yeah, it sounded like it from the stories I heard, and uh, there were some, yeah. there's some good stories. If you, I'm not going to repeat them all verbatim or anything, but if you ever get a chance, and I'm, I'm I'm sure you've seen it, Dan, but if you ever get a chance to see the the new documentary, that's like almost three hours long on the Blu-ray. It's definitely worth it. It's got almost interviews with almost the entire cast. Uh, no Jeff Goldblum, unfortunately, but um, yeah, but pretty much everybody else involved with the film. Um, Earl MacRoush is missing. He's been missing from everything from for quite a while. I, I don't think he's particularly happy with some of the attempts that they've tried to relaunch this. I think he's he's the person that's been holding up the the uh, Amazon Prime. Um, oh, okay. I was TV series or whatever. So, not sure exactly what his what his hang up is. I didn't get enough reading done on that, but or if anybody even really knows. But I know there's litigation going on, and so unfortunately, it looks hmm. like it's not going to happen. But um, uh, there were some comic books that came out based on this, though. Yes, right? and I he mean, was involved in that. Was. Yep. Have you okay. read uh, Dan? Was, uh, have you read the comic series? Uh, I have not because I refuse to um, get them in ebook form. Oh, okay. trying to find a hard copy and they they tend to go for not necessarily high dollar but more than i'm willing to spend yeah i saw them um, for 50 60 bucks graphic novel yeah and, that, yeah, and it's pricey for one there. book <laughs> so yeah exactly yeah. so and then there's i think 13 issues off the top of my head i don't remember for sure but yeah that was the uh, retru- uh return of the screw Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that uh that kind of picks up at the uh world crime league um, the little yes. uh, overly yeah. overly confident, hey, watch out for our next film. We'll just throw this in our first film uh, <laughs> tag at the end of the end of the movie. Right. Um, there's so many interesting stories about this movie. I, for a couple minutes, I just want to like concentrate on the movie itself and uh, um, just kind of watching through it. And I think this is my fourth or fifth time. And I want to say that you're absolutely right. This is the first time that I've watched this film that I felt like I started to like really get what was going on or like the plot. And even that, I'm not going to say I quote unquote get it. It, it, But I think I was picking up on all the levels of things that were going on. So yeah, it does take that many times to get to the point where it, it narratively makes sense. Uh, Peter Weller still claims that he doesn't have any idea what it's about. So uh. <laughs> have, you watched, have, have you watched the Q&A on YouTube? With uh, Peter Weller, John Lithgow, it's uh, a Q&A, and it's um, moderated by Kevin Smith. No, I heard about it, though. Is that the Kennedy yeah. Center one that they did? Uh, I, I'm not sure where it was. I, I thought it, it was at a film festival. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they, host, they hosted a screening of it at a film festival and then had a sit-down. It's like a 60-minute Q&A with the two of them moderated by Kevin Smith after the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's awesome they get into some great stories in that it's definitely worth a watch if you uh the whole thing's up on youtube it's fantastic yeah i'd like hmm. to see that um john lithgow who's who's just amazing in the film he's probably it's hard to say there's i have a lot of favorite things about this movie but his his performance in the movie is probably one of my favorite things about it and yeah, he's, he's an actor i already loved prior to seeing this film um, I'm trying to think when I finally sat down and watched this, I remember you talking about this. We were talking a little bit before we, uh, started recording here tonight, but I remember you, Dan, talking about this film as early as like, let's see, we first, I probably first met you in like the fourth or fifth grade, fifth grade. Fifth grade. Yep. Yeah. And, we're about to um, yeah. we're in Boy Scouts together and, uh, I think almost as early, as long as I've known you, I remember you talking about Buckaroo Banzai and it probably took a good, 
I think I was in high school by the time we actually sat down and watched it. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep. I remember there, <laughs> I, was a, there was a there was a a, a weekend of severe weather where we were all kind of sequestered in a right. mutual basement. Yep. And uh, you got I finally I remember just busting out the VHS and being and, and essentially screaming at everyone. We're like, finally we're watching, watching this movie, thing, whether you guys want to or not. <laughs> so I will bite you if you try to stop me. And <laughs> and I kind of remember and this this always sucks when you you know, something that you love so much and you're like I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna finally get everybody to sit down and watch this movie and I kind of remember the collective like what the fuck is this movie going on? Yeah. Like, there was like what, three of us that were like intensely like, oh, this is great. And then everyone else like, what the hell are you showing us? But Right. Um, yeah. Well, that's so. kind of, I've learned that that's kind of be expected with first showings of the film. Yeah. Um, that's a general, that's a, that's a standard reaction. It is. And I, I feel like it's those two or three people that are like, wow, I really liked that. I don't know why, but I'd like to see that again. So, <laughs> and, uh, yep. 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 and those are the people that kind of hang on to this movie. And, uh, and I was definitely one of them because I've, you know, subsequently bought it on DVD and now I re I purchased it again on Blu-ray and, um, I just enjoy the hell out of it. So, hmm. um, what now, Dan, do you have any, uh, you, you, to be honest, you've done more research in this over the years than, than I ever could, I think. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, I mean, cause this, this is something that, you know, like you said, they had this a little bit of a confident, you know, there's going to be a sequel kind of thing. Um, do you think that was actually like, they really were planning a sequel or do you think that was part of the, the atmosphere of this being like, you know, it almost has a flash Gordon feel to it with like, you, mm-hmm. you feel like you're picking up in the middle of something like a comic book or like an old serial. Do you think that was intentional like intentionally like satire or do you think that was legit they were going to do they wanted to do a sequel that was 100 percent legit um what they originally oh. planned for the film was a franchise um they they, they signed most of the have... cast for five films i believe wow yep. yep uh it was uh to be a indiana jones-esque adventure franchise um mm. to, to the point that i don't know uh Eric, you said you've got the Blu-ray, so I'm sure you saw the special features. Joe, mm-hmm. I don't know if, you, if you're aware. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a lot of content that was actually edited out of the film that would have carried over into a sequel or franchise. Yeah, including uh, the the original opening of the film that um, mm-hmm. was a flashback to the murder of Buckaroo Banzai's parents, who his mother <laughs> is, which I wasn't aware until I saw the the deleted uh-huh. scenes, but is played by Jamie Lee Curtis, uncredited. Uh-huh. But, but, yep. Wow. Uh, yeah, so uh, she was friends with uh, yeah, the murdered, guy, one of the producers of the film. And, yeah. Yep, murdered in cold blood by the infamous uh, crime lord Hanoi Jan, um, who uh, received several mentions throughout the film and then was eventually left on the cutting room floor. Yep, they went back and cut out all the mentions, I believe, just to... Mm-hmm. Well, they, they yeah. were worried it was going to make the film too confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, that, yeah, that would have done it. Yeah, that that would have done it. I mean, if they would have mentioned Hanoi Shan in there, I'm not sure I could have wrapped my head around them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I, I think I would have left at three. Uh, I would have said, you know, I'm I'm three and I have no freaking idea what's going on here. But yeah, so there is some exposition that was left out or le- um, deleted from the original film. Okay. I'm sorry. Were there? Um, I mean, would, do you know what any of those sequels? I know you mentioned like they did some of the stuff with the comic books, but has there been any leak as to really what was going to be going on in those sequels? Like any treatments or anything like that? The only one that was ever uh, really mentioned was uh, Against the World Crime League. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and that would have involved Hanoi Jan and his henchmen. Um, 
there's never really been a lot of um, of uh, expansion on that, other than. Well, um, W. G. Richter carried it forward, and Earl MacRoush had okay. left left the project. It was officially canned. They were never going to get another Buckaroo Banzai movie because, uh, well, basically David Spiegelman buried it and said, no, we're not doing any more of these. He hated the movie. Um, it was not incredibly successful. Uh, had a cult following for sure, but there just wasn't the money to get a sequel going to it. Exactly. So I think about 10 years now. No, it wasn't that long. About five years goes by. And most of the ideas that Richter and Rausch had batted around about what the World Crime League movie was going to be, ended up in a W.D. Richter story that became the John Carpenter film Big Trouble in Little China. So there's a big-time connection between those two. And so Big Trouble in Little China probably looks a little bit like what maybe the second Buckaroo Banzai movie would have been like. Uh, the DNA's in there, sure. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, huh. yeah, really it's just, I mean... Who knows how much they they borrowed from the original idea and how much they you know rewrote based on the basic plot, but um, there is uh, Richter is pretty much the connection between those two. But you you could kind of see where a a world crime league led by a character named Hanoi Shan, and then you know um, I forget I'm not gonna have character names on the on the tip of my tongue for Big Trouble, but um, kind of where that movie ends up going with all the magic and the um, ancient Chinese magic and stuff like that. I, I, I think that was probably, probably came from the DNA of what the second Banzai film was going to be about. Yeah, that's, I, I've, always, I've always felt that he, uh, it would have been a um, science versus magic type battle. Yep. Uh, that, that's yeah. That's always what it felt like it would have came off as, at least, at least in my head. Yeah, and, and who knows? I mean, it, the whole movie, uh, the whole thing was very much based on old serials. You mentioned that, Joe, and I, I think... Mm -hmm. um, Earl Mac Roush or, or um, very much had that on in his mind when when conceiving of the character and the ideas and just kind of reading about it. Supposedly he wrote like ten or twelve odd scripts for this movie or what could have been the movie and never completed any of them except for the one that got made. But yeah, he had a lot of ideas. Uh, so originally named Buckaroo Bandy. Yep. You know, um, and then uh, it was actually drew a lot of influence from the old Doc Savage comics from the 30s and 40s. Oh, sure. Kind yeah, I can see that. Similar, sim similar type character. Yeah, you know, a multi-talented uh, uh, renaissance man, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and I kind of like that about the character of Buckaroo Banzai is because his, his contemporaries in 1980s is like kind of Roger Moore's James Bond. Um, I, off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but... But I like that he's very, he's very much, like, everything is worn very much on his sleeve. Like, right off the bat in the beginning of this movie, you get that Buckaroo Banzai, well, he's a brain surgeon, he's a rock star, he's a physicist, he's a rocket scientist, he's a test pilot, he's a, um, so it's not, like, in the James Bond way of, like, where this random secret agent can just magically do all this stuff. Like, this is a man who's very capable, and you know, as, you know, he's always the smartest man in the room, kind of, uh. And they've always made it very clear that he worked his ass off to get there, too. It's not right. just he was just a super genius that was able to do these things or, you know, given superpowers through whatever situation. Yep. He's, he's just a guy that was able to put himself where he's at, which I've, I've always liked. I've always, as corny as it sounds, I've always kind of used the, um, if one guy can be good at that many things, I can be good at two. Yeah. <laughs> I use that as a, yeah. as a model for my life. Right. Um, 
Yeah, yeah he, he's he's almost kind of like Batman in a way. <laughs> you know, it's that's a great like, way to put it. Oh, and I right, but, um, Mike, speaking of Batman, Michael Keaton was actually originally considered for the role. Yes, oh, really? strongly yeah. considered to the point where there was negotiations going on, and it, there was a uh, some kind of butting heads with the agents or his agent and the the production team, and it didn't end up working out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this would have been Michael Keaton's role. He was all but cast, but they couldn't work out the contract. So yep. the uh, which continues to blow my mind because my, Michael Keaton is actually a regular at the coffee shop my girlfriend owns. Oh, yeah, um, you mentioned that. He That's... comes in al- almost every day that he's in town. So, so cool. I think about that now, and it's like, <laughs> holy crap, I would have been, I'd have been bumping into Mike, or I'd been bumping into Buckaroo Banzai almost every day on my way to work. Yeah, and who knows, <laughs> like, I can't see Michael Keaton playing this character. I mean, I, I could see him playing the character, but not in the same way that Peter Weller does, and it just, exactly. like, now that you've seen it, like, I, I just couldn't even imagine it going back and being Michael Keaton. I think it would have probably been a lot more comic or, um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm sh- I think they always had planned for Buckaroo Banzai to be kind of the straight man, you know, like play the, um, mm-hmm. play it very um, realistically, like very um, sincerely, but I don't know, I just, Peter Weller brought something to it that was, okay, and it sounds incredible being the, um, the film that it is, but it's almost believable. Like you, you buy that he is these things. He's, um, Oh yeah. Well, he's, he's got a certain intensity about him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got those, he's bugged out bright blue eyes. That yep. just, you, he, I mean, you know, he could tell you that he traveled through solid matter and met aliens and you go, Oh yeah. Like I totally did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's believable. Like you said. Yeah. And well, just the and way that he, like a, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say what I like also about like when you said believability is is this is a character they don't he doesn't have superpowers you know he's not he's not doing things that are really really off the wall if you know like physically you know he's not he's not he's not doing you know parkour and stuff like that and doing you know <laughs> triple backflips and landing well, in the no splits Jason or anything. Born. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's he's doing stuff that, that he's just it's more of found himself in these situations, but he's smart enough to know what to do. Yeah, and, and that's... I think guitar solo was pretty badass. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I like to see Jason Bourne do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, guitar solo is great and all, but the the little horn solo, I mean, that's uh. <laughs> now is I there's there's we mentioned before like the fan base behind this. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're. Aren't there conventions? I thought I read somewhere there's almost like you know, Buckaroo Banzai convention similar, to, much smaller than you probably see than like a you know going to a Star Trek uh, more, convention. More like yeah, yeah, more like fan gatherings. Yeah, um, yeah. Which uh, I did want to bring up too. I'm 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 not sure if I'll be able to make it happen yet, but um, uh, October 21st they're actually showing it in a theater up in Oakland. Oh, cool. Uh, oh, wow. I might see if I can. Um, Maybe oh actually I won't be able to get to that because I'll be in Rockford. Oh, or I'll be in Pecatonica. Well, that's a um, anyway. It's sorry, a bummer, side note. But yeah, <laughs> I'd love to no, get a I chance mean, to see this like in a theater with with other people that appreciate the movie because because it's a tough one. Like I mean I, I I don't envy your position about showing this to a, you know a room full of people that have never seen seen it before because. Uh, it's a tough sell, yeah. I think, to a lot of people. <laughs> but, well, at this point, it's kind of it's kind of become a game because I like put it on and then watch people's reactions. Yeah, you know, to see, yeah. you know, it, it's almost kind of become like a friend gauge. Like, oh, oh yeah, totally. Like somebody I, gets 
yeah, if somebody if somebody stands up and they're like, oh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, cool, I'm not going to be friends with that guy. Yeah, I was going to say, this is one of those movies that is a total litmus test movie, and I agree with that 100%. If you put this yeah. on yep. and someone is just as into it as you are, like, that's someone you should probably spend some more time with. Like, Yeah, yeah, like, that's, you, just, you just made a friend for the rest of your life, uh, yeah. you guys. <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, like, the other night when I got watching it, I said, I don't know if I've seen this before. And it's not that I didn't like it. I was just like, I don't know what I just saw. I yep. feel like, Joe, you, you and I watched it once, maybe in, uh, in around the college years. Yes. And for some reason, I feel like we may have both been unbelievably drunk. Yeah, I, I made the mistake, I think, the first, or maybe it was even the second time I saw it, but of watching it, um, it, 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 I mean, by all means, it's still a fun movie. Have a few beers and enjoy it. But, like, if it's your first time, yeah. you know... Um, yeah. but I don't know. I, yeah, I, I take that back a little bit. Cause I also don't think it's super important that you understand it. The only, the only way to hate this movie. Well, okay. If you don't like like eighties, eighties throwback and kind of the, what it's all about the, the basically the eighties. I mean, this is, <laughs> it's not about understanding it. And if you're a person that gets so hung up on, like, I have to understand the narrative of this movie, it's going to drive you nuts probably because yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just like if uh, it's like if so much head, going on. <laughs> it's like if Eraserhead was an exciting movie. You yeah, know? it's you know, not about understanding. That's, that's a brilliant way to put that. <laughs> I, I'm stealing that forever. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I said, like I watch it. I I don't. I need to watch it again because I I don't think I caught everything. It was well. It's, it's there's so much happening so fast. You have to really listen to the dialogue carefully. Because yep. there's a there's a lot of explanation in the dialogue, there is but the visuals and stuff zero. are so strange. You just have to like, while you're trying yep. to wrap your head about what you're seeing, if you're not listening, you're missing what's being yep. explained. Yeah, there are no like every scene is important. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no filler the entire way along. So if you get up to take a whiz halfway through the movie and come back, you're gonna be totally lost. Yeah. Um, well, I found it interesting. I was going to say, I found it interesting that, that um, the movie is, I mean, fairly tight in that in that respect, and um, I found it interesting that when watching kind of the special features, there was so much um, improv going on, like a lot of my, a lot of the, you know, most people's favorite lines from this film um, came from actors improving. Um, W.D. Richter mm -hmm. apparently encouraged them um, to kind of do their own thing quite often, which with a script this complex is kind of interesting, like that could be a disaster in, in less capable hands. I feel like he pulled it together. Um, I'm sure David uh, Spiegelman or whatever his name is had a different opinion, but I, yeah, I feel like uh, this all came together in the end. Um, could it have been done a little more perfectly with a little more money and people that really believed in the movie? Sure. It probably could have, but it also, you know, when you start monkeying with history that way, like would it, would it be as charming and like um, such a fun movie if it, you know, was perfect. Uh, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't think so. And, yeah. And like you're like you were saying with the dialogue, and to kind of bring it back to drinking, um, <laughs> one one of my favorite things to do is to put you know have a couple of beers, you know, throw the movie on, and then spend the evening just screaming lines at the television. Yeah. It is just it it's it's such a quotable movie. That's one of my favorite parts about it. I mean, there's so many things, so many lines from that film that have crept their way into my my daily lexicon that it, uh, I don't even realize they came from the film yeah. until I rewatch it. Um, I'm like, oh, that's why I say that all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a lot of times at work, I'll, I'll 
completely out of context where someone is talking to someone else and I'll turn to him and go, what, what is he making fun of me? Uh, all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, you can tell too that that some like we'd mentioned before about the, the a lot of the ad living on set, especially in John Lithgow's performance. Yes. Which is oh, so yeah. so I, fun. John Lithgow it, had a lot incredible. to Yeah, had a lot to do with developing that character. And I I'm pretty sure Richter let, like took the reins off of him and just let him kind of help mm-hmm. create that character, so yeah, well, um, are you aware of the, the origin of the accent? Have you heard of that? Um, no. So he had an Italian tailor uh, during the production of the film. And he was having, uh, this is John Lithgow I'm talking about, he was having problems nailing the accent. So what he would do is he would um, have his tailor record his lines into a small tape recorder, and then he would go back and listen to them and do kind of a... Um, caricaturized version of his Taylor's accent. And that was how he developed the, the John Lithgow, or the, I'm sorry, the um, uh, Emilio Lizardo Italian yeah. accent. Um, and oh my God. That Taylor is actually credited in the film's credits as um, John Lithgow's dialect coach. <laughs> oh, nice. cool. Amazing, yeah. So, um, that's one of my oh. favorite stories from the production of the movie. I, I, I think that's just hysterical. Well, and you can tell that it's it's a bit of a struggled accent, which gives it it makes it a lot of fun because like the first few minutes that he's on screen and he's speaking, I'm like, what the hell kind of accent is? This? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but about, it, about it, once, it's about hilarious. Once a week, someone in my someone in my house will say, "Hey, so Cristo, make the ganglia twitch." Someone will say it every week. It's just... <laughs> 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 so, how many times do you think you've seen this movie at this point? Um. I have no idea. Uh, like I said, I can't think of part of, uh, of a part of my life. There isn't an, a, a time in my life where the film hasn't been part of it. Um, mm. So, I mean, I've got, you know, a denim battle jacket vest that's covered in bu- Bucker Bonsai patches, the same way a lot of death metal guys do, mm-hmm. um, that I wear <laughs> constantly. So, um, I honestly have never tried to sit down and do it. Um, I used to watch it a lot more frequently. Uh, than I do now, only because of, uh, you know, that was pre-streaming days, especially when I was mm-hmm. pretty broke and really only had about 10 DVDs and a, you know, crappy DVD player. So I would just watch those 10 movies over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of I, background uh, noise, yeah. Yep, exactly. So, you know, it, I, I, I think I went from about watching it maybe once a month to, you know, once every six. You know, I try to watch it a couple oh, wow. times a year. Um, oh, wow. So, and I mean, you're um, a, you're you're a diehard fan of the point too. We were talking about this before we, you know, kind of before recording. But you've actually gone to visit at least one of the sets from the film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. A little. A few months ago, uh, my girlfriend and I traveled down to Sepulveda. Um, you know, you guys. You know, we're all from the Midwest, but I live out um, on the West Coast, uh, about an hour away from um, Sepulveda. The, I'm sorry. The. Um, Los Angeles water control system, which is in the San Fernando Valley, um, they call it the Sepulveda Dam, and that is the filming location of the end credit sequence, the yes. famous end, end credit sequence. Um, and uh, it was it was awesome. I, I, it was indescribable how cool it was to actually get to go and walk around in there. Does um, it does it pretty much look the same as it did? Yep, yep. They they uh, they kept so there's a nature preserve that's attached to it um, that you, you have to hike through. And I was worried it was going to be fenced off and it was going to be this, you know, we were going to have to trespass onto 
county property or whatever to get to it, and which I was, you know, totally game for. But um, <laughs> uh, so we have to walk through this nature preserve, and it is um, it is a, a a bum city, for lack of a better way to yeah. put it. Um, it was real sketchy getting through there to get to it, and then you actually come up on the backside of it, and I thought that was it. And I, I kind of got a little sad because it was just, it was dirty and it was covered in graffiti and it was all full of gravel. And then uh, yeah. we walked up over the, we walked up over the dam portion of it and got to the top and the, the other side of it is where they filmed. I didn't know that. And it's mm. pristine. It's flat concrete. It's, it's, it's the wall they walked down. It's, you know, it's, they kept it real clean. Um, uh, one interesting thing when we were there was that it was covered in tire track because uh, Ken Block, he's a um, world champion rally driver. He kind of made a name for himself by doing these uh, crazy stunt driving videos on YouTube. Um, he was down there filming one of his Gymkhana videos in, you know, 700 horsepower, uh, you know, drift car, um, hmm. you know, you know, doing, doing, you know, figure eight donuts and stuff around barrels and all those tracks were still down there when we were there, which is pretty cool. Um, but, uh, it was, a it was a weirdly emotional experience to be there. I don't really know how to explain it. Right. Um, well, right. it must've been especially cool. Like walking up over, like, especially kind of initially being disappointed and then like walking up over the dam and like, like, Oh yeah, there it is. Like it just clicks. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, and then we were looking, there's a fence that goes down the side, and I was like, ah, crap, it's fenced off, we can't get down there without hopping the fence, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, shoot, that fence only goes down there 100 yards, mm -hmm. so we just walked down and around, and we were right into it, it was great, nobody down there, not a soul, it was, mm -hmm. you know, we're in, the, we're in the middle of the San Fernando Valley, and there's, like, no people around, it was one of the coolest things, you know, yeah, wow. but, you know. Uh, the only other set location that I went to that isn't, like, a tourist thing is uh in fort myers florida in down old oh, downtown yeah, fort myers is um yeah it is the where they shot the opening credit sequence for romero's day of the dead yeah with the so, with the dr tongue zombie right instead yeah uh, with right the dr the... tongue zombie and there's like yeah, a zombie cool. at the theater and he's banging on the you know the the box office so, so which is kind of funny because you go down to you know downtown fort myers now and it's a whole bunch of really really old people shuffling around and <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of creepy actually. You're like, damn, it's 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 it still feels like it, you know. Um, but yeah, that was former doctor with his tongue hanging out. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's yeah, so that was the um, that's one of the the bigger ones I've I've done. You know, again, not really kind of like the the scene there at the end of Buckaroo Bonsai. This isn't a place that you know they're gonna put up a sign about. Like this was shot here, but yeah. if if you're in the know, it's kind of fun to go to those places. It's one of those little, like hidden gems in a city. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and in Chicago, more yeah, stuff being shot there. It's more common now, but but yeah, some of those are really fun. That that ending sequence of, of Buckaroo Banzai is so iconic of the movie. Like, it's and I think that it wasn't initially planned. I, out of all the things that um, David Spielberg fought them for and wouldn't give them money for, like actually enriching the movie, um, he had no problem coughing up a day of shooting to do this. Um, you know, March <laughs> kind of curtain call scene at the end of the movie mm -hmm. which oh, ends up it, it, it's fantastic um the score i think is a big is a big thing to mention about buckaroo bonsai yeah. as well it's got just a mm -hmm. fantastic like 80s synthesizer uh score 
um, the theme being one of the most memorable pieces of music, probably in cinema history. Every time I watch it, I end up whistling it to myself for like four days afterwards. But yeah, it, 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 it yep. stays in your head for a while. <laughs> it's, it's a definite earworm. And one thing I like about the credits was the uh, composer uh, Michael Lehman Boddicker wasn't done with the, the I'm sorry with the score <laughs> yeah. at the time of filming. So they used as a stand-in song. They used Uptown Girl. Yeah, because it had the tempo. same like temp. Yep. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So I, every time I watch that now, I imagine them marching along to Uptown Girl. I'm like, no wonder they look so happy. What a good day. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> so, oh, cool. Yeah. 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 I had a real, I had a real hard. Sorry. I'm just saying this is one I'm gonna have to go back. I, I I've got to watch it again. I mean, it's the more I've thought about it over the last couple of days. It's you, know, you mentioned the song stays in your head. The whole film does. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it again, it's it's kind of like something that you know. I was going to give the example earlier, like you're a little kid and you watch walk past the living room and your parents are watching a movie you're not supposed to watch. You catch a glimpse and then it's like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and now, yeah. now you want to see it. And so yeah, I'm going to have to make a point to to check sure. it out. I think it's available. Where did I watch it on Amazon Prime? Yes, uh, yeah, I it's believe it is. On, uh, it's currently on Hulu as well. So. Okay. Um, I just cool. I watched it on Hulu last night just out of laziness. Yeah. So, so um, lots of great ways to see it for free, everybody. You should uh, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, it is. I mean, and I think this is the, the perfect kind of film. You know, and I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to do this to to review this. This is the kind of film that we really wanted to do this podcast about it yeah. is this, this is, is quintessential. Is, like this is yeah, it has a fan base, but at the same time, it's a, a movie that. You know, if you were in your 20s or 30s when this came out, you're going to remember it because it was probably that weird movie. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, it's developed a cult following and it's it's kind of become, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's got its place in, in film history. In fact, it was also referenced in the, the recent film Ready Player One. I love that. I had no idea that was coming and I about fell out of my chair when that happened. <laughs> well, it's um, funny because I had... Awesome. I had I don't if I like I said before if I had seen this movie before uh, I don't remember anything of it so when I was watching Ready Player One a few months ago and that reference came up I, the first thought in my head was oh it's that movie Dan likes <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, yeah I'm, I, I, I embrace my position as that guy as yeah you are like oh, it's that, it's that... Yeah, it's that movie Dan like. You are the official Buckaroo Banzai ambassador for at least at least the Midwest, and we can give you that. Uh, <laughs> like, well, I, do, I, I credit that to my obsessive personality. You know, there's certain things I just latch on to, and I just I also just talk about them for a month. You know, the part of my girlfriend's like, "Look, dude, I can't hear about guitars anymore." <laughs> um, so, um, so just here, so we'll talk about Buckaroo Banzai yeah. instead of guitars. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that movie. Um, <laughs> There's only three or four subjects here, so pick one. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I hear uh, that at home. Did, one thing I did want to bring up about the film was the um, the choice of cinematographer. Oh, yes. Um, that I thought this was really interesting because uh, we were talking about David Beagleman being a real nuisance to work with on the film. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe, you'll get a kick out of this, is that uh, the original cinematographer for the film was uh, Jordan Cronenweth, better known for um, filming Blade Runner. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, the nightclub scene in particular has the smoky neon filled yep. um, Blade Runner vibe to it. Along with there's a, there's a few other scenes I've kind of caught. Um, uh, I think he shot the the, the brain surgery scene at the beginning and mm -hmm. um, there's some, a scene something else. Where I don't know if it was I don't know if it was him or not, but the uh, the laboratory scene 
the infamous, uh, why is there a watermelon over there? I'll tell you later. That oh, yeah. Kind of, kind of has his fingerprints all over it. Um, yeah, I can see and, that. Uh, yeah, because uh, originally uh, W.D. Richter and Earl Mike Roush wanted to have kind of that more, uh, I'm not sure how to put it, that kind of lush look to the film. Um, but uh, Yeah, very high contrast replaced. with the neons yep. and the like high and low light. Yep. Oh, I love it. Oh, God, yeah. It's, uh, you know, the synth wave aesthetic. Um, but he, uh, yeah, David Begelman went behind everybody's uh, Beagleman, I don't know. Um, yeah, kind of went behind everybody's backs, replaced Cronin with, with um, where I wrote it in my notes here, and it's gone. The guy uh, who's... Fred Conencamp. Yeah, yeah, Fred Conencamp. Conencamp. Um, because they wanted to give it more of that two-dimensional, flat, campy, 80s, kind of Indiana Jones feel yep. to it. They were looking for Raiders of the Lost Ark and not Blade Runner, supposedly. So. Exactly, yeah. And I, I, I always have thought of that ever since I learned that about what it would have looked like if um, uh, Cronenworth had stayed on for the whole film. That um, would have completely changed the whole vibe of it, which I, I think could have been for the better, but then we wouldn't also have, you know, this cheesy, wonderful, colorful, um, you know, what we have now. So. Yeah. You know, it's easy to it's easy to theorize, but we have what we have, and I'm more than happy with that. So. Yeah, you never you never know what you get when uh, when you mess with the ingredients too much. But I do think it probably would have been a nicer, at least to my eye, a nicer looking film uh, in high contrast. I think the costumes would have popped a little better. Um, sure, I think it just would have. It would have it would have looked more sci-fi to me. Um, is what oh, like. Of- Speaking of costumes, before we get too far off of that, I was going to bring up um, about five years ago, I had the chance to own John Parker's silver jacket, oh, and I was, out, I was outbid by $6. Oh, no. <laughs> and, oh, wow. and I, I mean, 10000 you can live with or something like that, but yeah, that's rough. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I literally threw my mouse across the room. <laughs> yeah. So upset. <laughs> I was, just, I was just sitting there staring at the screen, patting myself on the back, saying, I'm about to own the the jacket of, hey, man, nice jacket. That thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I mean, that would have been just, yeah, I mean, that would have been the, col- the collection piece. I was, like, yep, I was furious. And, uh, and about a month later, um, Pinky Carruthers' whole suit came up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that ended up going for... A lot more than I could afford, but that would have been fantastic as well. Um, well, I, I, I would I wanted to mention this earlier. Uh, I would be remiss not to bring up the fact that one of the other cast members in this that I I wasn't expecting. I mean, there's a lot of people I wasn't expecting to see in this movie. Like, oh shit, Jeff <laughs> yeah, in this, but yeah. but the national security advisor played by Yakov Smirnov. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. <laughs> <laughs> that that was it was literally one of those, what the fuck is, is that Yakov Smirnoff? <laughs> yeah. You know, for a, for a long time when I was a kid, for a long time I used to think that the president from uh, um, from Buckaroo Bonds, I, I forget the actor's name, but the the president was uh, also the coach of the Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> now, wasn't wasn't the president? Wasn't that Ronald Lacey? Uh, I think was, I, I, I honestly don't know the name escapes me right now. But I think I, can, I, I, I believe it's the same guy who plays the the creepy Nazi in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Um, yes, Ronald Lacey was, was President Widmark in the. Yep. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, and I'm, so, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one on my dad as well. I can see my dad pointing to me and saying, "Hey, you know that's Mike Ditka." 
Yeah. President there, you know. <laughs> that very well could be. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, tons of good stories. There's a great story on the on the Blu-ray about how he did that entire part in... He basically played it as Ronald Lacey, as Orson Welles, as President Widmark, and uh, again, back to Spiegelman or whatever his name is. Uh, uh, he doesn't deserve me to pronounce his name right, but... Um, <laughs> He uh, hated hated the Orson Welles thing, which um, and uh, they redubbed it for release. So it was dubbed voice uh, over the actual performance. Yeah. Oh, wow. But, yeah. This is anyway. this is definitely um, yeah. This is this is definitely one that if you haven't seen it, and, and you're the kind of person that even listens to this podcast, then this is yes. This, this is, is one you whether whether or not you love this movie, you owe yourself experiencing this movie at least one time if, if you like anything about it then i recommend seeing it you know many times you'll get more and more out of it as the more times you watch it um i've seen it four or five times and i keep getting new stuff even like pieces of the plot like all of a sudden connect and i'm like oh <laughs> like okay mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah so there's there's definitely um more to get like i said there's just uh if if you do enjoy it a lot and want to you know pick up the Blu-rays, fabulous. It's got you know a three-hour long documentary with new interviews and retrospective from all of the um, cast and crew and everyone who worked on the movie. So I think we're gonna have to kind of start winding it up. Um, normally, what we do is uh, kind of give films a letter grade. Although lately, I Joe and I have been criticizing ourselves for only picking stuff we love, so we end up giving everything like, oh, this is an A, this is an A+, you know. Um, <laughs> so, like, uh, Joe, first impression, like, what what would you give this movie I, if you had to grade I, it at this? I think just having, just approaching it and trying to separate myself from, you know, knowing, like, this is a cult film, you know, because one of the things when you're watching a cult film is you kind of feel like you have to give it a high grade because of that. And I'm, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to give it a B because I think I need to watch it more. Um, if I was a casual film watcher and just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, just somebody said this movie's good and put it in. I'd probably be really well, more confused than I am now about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I'm going to I'm going to give it a B. But it's it's a it's a B that has a rocket car behind it. So it's, it's going to go up. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm really interested in uh, what you have to say after a second viewing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah I'm, I'm actually excited to watch it again. <laughs> awesome. This yeah. this one for me is, uh, and again, I give everything an A, but I got to give it an A. I think perhaps I would have given it a lower grade the first time I saw it, but um, its rewatchability is just so good. It's one of those you can pop on any time, and and again, I, I you just always get not only like you were saying like the most quote one of the most quotable movies in the world. It also you you keep getting more and more out of the, the plot and the characters. And mm-hmm. the, um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. It's, it's flawed, but still fantastic. I think I don't, I don't want to talk or mislead anyone into thinking this is a perfect movie. It's not, but it's, it's got everything it needs and it's just so much fun. And uh, it's, it's a legitimate joy to watch every time I watch it. So I think I think I'm going to give it a solid C minus, only because of all the conversations I've ruined over drinks by launching <laughs> 20 minute tirades about, about the film. Yeah, um, Dan Eaton and his self flagellation yeah. over Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, this but, is uh, along with uh, I, I did want to you know um, well, one of the things that makes me the saddest about the movie is is everyone everybody's got a fandom. 
Mm -hmm. Everybody's got, you know, their Star Trek, Harry Potter, Star Wars, whatever. And I only get one movie. Yeah. I have this one movie I get to watch over and over and over again, which is fun because I get to analyze the shit out of it and ruin conversations over beers. But, um, (laughs) you know, I've always gotten a little bit of jealous or a little bit jealous over it. I have, you know, some friends that are diehard Star Wars fans and they've got an infinite vault of material to draw from. And I'm like, oh, cool. I got my... You know, one eight, movie, six minutes one or whatever movie. the hell it is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try. It's kind of like Big Lebowski fan. I have a goal now is to, to help you track down a copy of that uh, graphic novel of the Return of the Screw and yeah, so get you a little you know, bit of something else. So I just I need to bite the bullet and just uh, <laughs> pick that up at some point. You know, I, I'm just cheap and I, I blow all my, guitar, all my money on beer and guitar shit anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I gotta get around to that for sure. I was at one point. I was looking into getting a the uh, Buckaroo Bonsai the back to back wing B logo as a tattoo. Oh, and, that'd be um, yeah, well, Tim, my uh, magnanimous tattoo artist friend, pointed out to me how much it looked like uh, the number eighty-eight, which yeah. is yeah. Uh, a, you know a wonderful white supremacist symbol. So yeah, you're they, right. Damn it, they not want to do ruin it. everything. Definitely <laughs> throw in the line a little bit there. Yeah, he's fucking all right, guys. Just screwing it all up for the rest of us. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being a nerd can't be a nerd. It bums me out. Right. Um, and then you spend the rest but, of your life explaining, like, no, it's Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like all I can although, think, all I, can think all I, I just had this, this horrible nightmare vision of myself forgetting to pay a parking ticket and having to do, like, three nights in jail and getting the shit beat out of me because some, you know, some local gang members think it's an 88 tattoo, you know. I just, I'd like to think by the end of that altercation, you'd have an entire, like, cell block watching Buckaroo Banzai, but... I, you know, I've got, I've got a, <laughs> you know, a, a, I've got a talent for conversation, so I could probably make that happen. If not, you know, I've got it memorized enough that I could at least act it out for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and if, if nothing else, they'd just be too confused to know what to do. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, you know, Danaru Banzai, the one-man show. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Um, but uh, and actually, well, Dan, I wanted to mention something about your uh, you you have a business in um, uh, out the West Coast, correct? Mm-hmm. Well, um, um, I, I don't. My girlfriend does. She's got a, a coffee shop. I was I was mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a small shop. We're about you know a hundred yards from the coast. You know, looking looking right at the ocean. It's uh, Red Kettle Coffee. Um, cool. All lo- local roasted, um, small batch everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, so far so good. That's actually part of the, her and I originally met up in San Francisco and that's the reason we moved down here was there was a nice gap in the local market and we were able to kind of slide in there and get the shop up and running. Uh, yeah. And I, we do have the wet. Sorry. No, I was going to say, unfortunately I have not actually visited the shop, but I have, um, had the pleasure of having some coffee beans sent to me and they were it was fantastic so i can uh, vouch oh, for the quality yeah. like absolutely uh, yeah. delicious stuff and uh, if anyone listening happens to be in the area uh, definitely check it out yeah it was located right out right off the 101 in so you know sunny summerland california um and uh you know we do have the the website redkettlecoffee.com i shouldn't say we i always say we i don't know why um <laughs> all i did was um you know hang shelves and paint walls um but uh yeah, redkettlecoffee.com. There's a link to the online shop on there. I'll throw a link uh, to that on the, the show notes here, too, so everyone can just yeah, direct absolutely. it. Yeah, oh, yeah, we really appreciate that, for sure. Um, I've been trying to get her to sell um, 
for I think it was her birthday last year. I don't remember for sure when the occasion was, but I contacted a, a fairly well-renowned um, black metal artist to cook up a, a, a black metal esque logo for the shop. And uh, they've been we've been kind of treating them as VIP T-shirts. Like you kind of got to be in the know to get them. But I'm trying to get her to print a batch so we can throw them up online. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so, oh, cool. Yeah, a couple of prominent YouTube guitarists have gotten gotten a hold of them and uh, worn them in some of the videos. So we've had tons of people asking about them. Some of the employees have them, and customers have come in and asking. But it's you know it's the the barely legible black metal style font. It says Red Kettle Coffee, which amuses me to no end because the shop is gorgeous. It's just mm-hmm. a super cute space. It's a perfect reflection of Megan's personality <laughs> as a space. And then it's the you know, most hateful, ugly-looking T-shirt design of all time. <laughs> as, you know, an official design. So That's anyone awesome. that knows That's me awesome. through the shop is like, yeah, that asshole is definitely behind that. So. <laughs> <laughs> this was his idea, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I really want to thank you for uh, for being on the show today. Yeah, this has been oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you for... Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, that was when you guys initially... Uh, I think the very first mention of you guys doing a, a movie podcast, I think I threw out an all caps Facebook comment of we're fucking doing Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it was never a question. We were going to get to this at some point. And so, and it would, it would not have been the same. I, 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 don't, I feel like I can't possibly do a Buckaroo Bonsai show without having you on it. So you introduced oh, me to this movie that. and like, you are, like I said, you are the Buckaroo Bonsai ambassador for, <laughs> um, yeah, if I not for the entire way. country, definitely for the area we grew up. Oh, so. Yeah. so anyway, thanks again for, for coming on. It's great to talk to you. And, uh, as always, and we'll, um, maybe do it again sometime. I don't know what, uh, other movies you were in your, you know, 10 DVD collection back in the day that you could talk <laughs> about, but, uh, we'll, uh, Love to do it again. Uh, we could definitely do the uh, the 1992 hit classic Robot Jocks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, I think we're gonna do that now. So, I mean, there's a, there's a giant robot with a chainsaw for a cock in the movie, so it's you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it, is it is fantastic. <laughs> well, thanks again uh, for being here, and um, yeah, I'd love to keep watching uh, Buckaroo Banzai every six months and we'll <laughs> yeah well, it, was, it was a pleasure guys i was happy to do it anyway. awesome well and, and also next week we are going to be continuing our our uh, kind of audience recommendations with another film from the list uh kind of another film i think that's a little bit ahead of its time especially when you consider what films came out shortly after it that are very very similar to it so we'll be uh picking up with this really interesting kind of atmospherically gloomy late 90s science fiction film uh but as eric was just saying dan thank you so much for being on the show so buckaroo bonsai you guys got to check this one out it's a lot of fun and uh, thanks again for listening to the video junkyard podcast as always i am joe peterson and this is eric o'branson thank you guys for listening You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road.
keep clear of the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast, on Twitter at video junk pod, and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs> <laughs>